Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm the founder and director of Born at the Right Time. I'm a qualified nurse, the parent of three, and I've got an eldest son who loves swimming, pointless, and also has complex disabilities. I wrote the memoir, The Skies I'm Under, and I'm really happy you have joined us for another episode of The Skies We're Under podcast. Here we share the stories of fellow parents so we can all feel a little less alone and a little more understood. Today, you have got the pleasure of a fantastic conversation I had with Marianne Boothroyd-Selby, who, despite sounding like she ought to be in the House of Parliament, joins me for a fantastic conversation we had at the beginning of this year. She has three sons who, between them, have a life-threatening heart condition and autism and Down syndrome. We also delve into the harsh world of having a middle child who's just like you. I love this conversation, but I must warn you, things do get very serious and we talk about do not resuscitate orders, your child needing CPR and how you can have all the right qualifications as a professional and still miss things as a parent. Hello and welcome to the Skies Runder podcast and I'm very excited. I feel like I need to say today on the podcast we have DJ Marion because... (laughs) Marion Selby Boothroyd is sitting opposite to me, well, as virtually as you can opposite me, and it kind of looks like her chin is surfing on the keyboard of a laptop. It looks like I've just interrupted her Xbox game. (laughs) She's just come off Fortnite. (laughs) Minecraft. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Minecraft. Okay. So she's been on Minecraft for the last... 16 hours and she's just broken her you know world record of minecrafting uh, to join us today. Marion actually is the director of development at Certitude which is London's leading non-for-profit care provider for adults with learning disabilities, autism and mental health needs. She's also the trustee of Sparkles a charity providing speech and language therapy, occupational therapy and physiotherapy for preschool children with Down syndrome and she's the mum of three boys. Marion, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It feels very exciting to be here. (laughs) (laughs) As you surf your keyboard. (laughs) Yes, excuse me, I'm just going to do another track. Uh, Get on. (laughs) You just just start, I don't know, what is that then when you make the record go backwards and forwards okay just stop now because we're going to sound like sad we'll start talking about Jamiroquai or something it'll just be awkward spin doctors (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) that's just showing our age entirely Marion thank you for joining us tell us about your family tell us about you and your life Who, who do you live with basically oh well that in itself is a complicated question but I have three boys two cats one dog Mm -hmm. and my oldest son who is 19 he's just started university Mm -hmm. so he is sometimes here sometimes at his dad's most often away at uni Mm -hmm. so he's my biggest prince (laughs) and then I have a, a middle son who is 16 he lives here the whole time literally 
the whole time. And is it his headphones that you're wearing? I think it is his headphones. So he'll probably actually come in and shout at me and demand some food and walk off again. Okay, lovely. And then I have a 14-year-old son who is here most of the time or at his dad's. Um, so it's a bit of a mixture of people moving in and out. Mm-hmm. And all three bring with them a whole range of additional needs, which is just a pleasure. And uh, looking at the notes you gave us before the comp podcast, the most profound of those needs is uh, that your middle son is most like you. <laughs> oh, God. Do you know what? I never wanted girls. I never wanted girls. I just, I, this is awful. I'm so sorry for all girls out there, but I knew what I was like as a teenager. I didn't want one. I just wanted boys. <laughs> and he essentially is me with bells on. It's horrific. The worst case of middle child syndrome I have ever experienced. Do you have any appreciation of how awful it is? To have someone who's just like you? Well, that and a middle child. <laughs> and a middle child. Yes, I am a middle child. I'm a middle of five, but I'm obviously perfect to live with. My family are just so privileged to live under the same roof as me, obviously. You started off in disability land, first of all, professionally. When I left university, actually, I always really wanted to be a nurse. It's all I ever wanted. And when I left university, I had got onto a nursing course. But my overdraft from drinking for three years constantly was so oh. high. I know. I had to go and get a job instead. And oh, I, man. I know, awful. And I just fell into the first job I got was as a support worker for people with learning disabilities. And I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> really, was a disgrace. I got the job, and I had the best time. I just had a brilliant time. And from then on, I thought I don't want to do anything else. Okay. So for the last twenty plus years, that's what I've done. And then you had your family, and you found in lots of different guises that you also are living life with you know, known disabilities and complexities at home. Did it feel like you transitioned at that point in yourself or was that smooth? Like I, I feel like as a nurse, um, I kind of hell I knew about learning disability and complex needs and people living with really severe brain damage and all that kind of stuff. But I knew it from caring for those people and then going home and then finding myself on the other side of the bed. That gap felt really big. But I recognise that's my experience. I'm just curious as to whether that's how that felt from your point of view. When my oldest was born, it was a difficult pregnancy. and we were I was tested throughout and he was tested throughout me being pregnant. I think we always knew something was up. But when he was born, and it was all fine, when he was nine weeks old, he was diagnosed with a heart condition. And it's the one where the footballers dropped down dead on the pitch. Yeah, um, yeah. So he was diagnosed okay. with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and was very poorly as a little baby. But that felt like a physical health need. It didn't feel... Yes, yes. And actually, as he grew older and older, he was subsequently diagnosed with autism when he was... Not, not till he was 14. I've always had this sort of slight sense of shame. 
oh yes it's my mm. profession yeah no I didn't recognize it in my own child no you're absolutely right yeah no I'm really good at my job <laughs> that didn't feel like a clash it wasn't until my youngest was born we didn't know until he was born that he had Down syndrome and the moment he popped out I'd had this glorious birth Oh, would you have whales going on in the background or some? I had angels singing. The whole thing was just beautiful. 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 And then he popped out and I took one look at him and I went, oh, shit. Hmm. And once I was reassured he wasn't a girl, I felt slightly better. (laughs) But I knew immediately that he had Downs. And, And I will say I really struggled the first few months of his life that, All I saw were the parents of people I'd supported over Mm. the years. And all I saw was, and I replayed conversations I'd had with them, how tired they were, how beaten down by the system they were, how exhausting it all was. And I Mm. thought, oh, great, that's that's what I've got ahead of me. That's my life now. I didn't think about him at the time. I just thought about me. That well, that it is really interesting because there's there's a very strong and really positive, isn't there, sort of presence across social media and different channels around you know not being sorry that your child has got Down syndrome and, and giving that kind of very positive message. I always think that's always comes after a level of you know I don't know anybody I haven't heard anybody's story that's like and then I realized they had down syndrome and I was so thrilled like the original reaction is whatever and then you know then there you find you see joy and there is lots and lots of good and it's not all miserable but it's easy to you know to sort of expect people to arrive where you're at having not gone through the process that you've gone through but it I completely hear from other people how it isn't the complexity of the person that's actually in the research as well it isn't the complexity of the person's healthcare needs that's the issue it's the reality of the context that their complexities put you into so the context being the relationships with the practitioners and the need to fight and the need to arrange and to organize and to attend appointments and do you know what I mean, to juggle all the extra things that come along. So it's not the person at all. It's That's exactly right. And that were, you know, those were my immediate thoughts and worries. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I gave him much thought at all. He was fine, he was a little baby. Do you think that was because of the role that you had? Do you think that was because of your work? So looking back, can you sort of see how that affected your, I don't like the word acceptance, but do you know what I mean? Your sort of, your realisation and your sort of settling into. I didn't think that at the time, but I suppose it must have done because obviously I've known, worked with and friends with people with Down syndrome and they're all cool people. So yeah, having Down syndrome is irrelevant in that sense. So I can, yes, obviously for me, it felt a lot. I knew what I knew what was happening and what to expect. It was very much the system that I was just hugely, yeah. I think just in shock and horror about. And of course, as your child grows, you go through different phases of what feels really difficult. And so I kind of feel like sometimes we're in sync and sometimes we're not. If that makes sense. So there's 
my emotional kind of roller coaster linked with my stage of life, my hopes and aspirations, my expectations. And then there's my son's and even his siblings kind of stages of life. And it's whether all the stars align as to whether it's an absolute show or whether it's actually, you know, I can deal with this thing because everything else in life's a little bit in order. Or this is an absolute nightmare because not only does this person need my attention, but this diagnosis is happening. And I feel like I'm floundering in myself and it can all feel harder because there's no equilibrium to what everybody needs. Yeah, I think it's incredibly easy and happens very often to get burnt out in that you're just juggling too much. You just are. And I suppose... You're catching me at the tail end of my oldest having just spent three days in hospital between Christmas and New Year with his heart. Oh, lovely. Oh, that was just the joy. Mm. And I suppose that then took priority um, and does take priority a lot. You know, you've got this, this is why I feel so sorry for my little son. I mean, how do you compete with someone that could drop down dead at any moment and someone that will need lifelong support oh it's just you've got no hope I mean as far as my middle son came in and was like so I've been watching you know he's into watching reels and whatever on Instagram and stuff he's like apparently you can tell the favorite child based on what all your past computer passwords are. And then he starts rhyming off our passwords, which are all different variations of our eldest son and date of birth and stuff. And he's like, clearly I know who you're. And I'm like, well, it's because it's passwords for his things and it's passwords for his, um, and it's just how I remember. But yeah, like how do you, <laughs> do you compete? I know you don't love me as much because your password on your computer is not my name. That's right. Or there aren't photos of me as a baby <laughs> or you never filled in the baby book. And I was like, well, I've already filled in one. I, mean, <laughs> exactly. I just sort of ran out of time. Sorry. <laughs> Alex doesn't even have a baby book. <laughs> like the third child, forget it. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. Well, we all know that we practice on the first one and then we all know it makes very little difference from subsequent children what you actually do. Yeah. <laughs> and I do feel with my youngest that he benefits from being the youngest. Yeah. He's got that slightly feral. Lovely. Yes, which people have often said, oh, is that the Downs? No, no. he's the youngest <laughs> of three boys. He's dragged himself up. <laughs> He cares nothing. But he does have this, and I suppose it's the same with everybody that, that has children. You know, they're different personalities. Mm. And so I think are are influenced, obviously, by what's going on for them. But they're pecking order in the family. Yes, yes. But he's the most extrovert, the most gregarious, the most resilient, I think, of all three. Uh-huh. So I worry least about him even though others would probably think he's the most vulnerable. At Born at the Right Time, we're passionate about improving the lives of people with complex disabilities, whether it's through supporting their family, CPD certified training for practitioners, 
or influencing policymakers and providers to turn rhetoric into reality. You can find out more about our work, whether it's book on a parent workshop, attend a live podcast event, or check out our range of practitioner training in communication, collaboration, and personalised care by visiting our website, www.bornattherighttime.com. You know, this is important, that's important. Is the dinner done? Is the presents wrapped? Is that meeting? Is that there? And then something happens, and suddenly, everything you thought was important is suddenly very unimportant. Do you want to tell us about last year's news oh well so my oldest so he's had his heart condition since he was born and he's been under the care of the Bronte mm-hmm. since he was born he's had fabulous care been asymptomatic been on medication since he was born but yeah last may thought he'd have a cardiac arrest so was at his dad's house was it quiet <laughs> yeah, tuesday well, oh, and this is just standard. He was at his dad's house. They were all having a family barbecue. So I took the opportunity to have a nap, put my phone on silent. Yeah. Because, you know, when do you get oh, your yeah. yourself? I yeah, missed 15 calls. I was woken by a knock on the door and it was a member of the family going, you've got to get here now. Yeah, he'd had a cardiac arrest. He was thankfully downstairs with his dad at the time who started CPR. And the air ambulance arrived and managed to shock him back. And I, you know, one of the things which I try not to think about too much, but had he been in his room, had he been in the loo, it would have been different. It, yeah. You know, I'd have lost yeah. him. So he had a SICD put into his chest, the defib, and all's been fine. And then just after. Do you know when that goes off? Like, Well, we've now learned that's what happens in between Christmas and New Year. Right. So it turns out he was shocked, but no one thought that had happened because apparently it feels like a horse has kicked you in the chest and okay. like it's thrown across the room. Okay. He'd been sleeping and woke up and just thought, oh, my chest hurts a little bit. We took him into hospital and about three o'clock that morning he was lying in A&E, he was asleep again and I was just watching him and I just saw him seize and he was shocked again. So... The positive is we know it works. Well, I mean, yes, if you want to be cloud lining silverness, it's another world though, isn't it? Like the intensity of, you know, living on that knife edge. Can you process that or do you find squashing it down really is the best way forward? Excellent. Great. No, I have squashed it, which isn't healthy and I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. But I think it's so horrific that I don't know how you process it. Yeah, I haven't been able to. And how, like, how is he in it all? Like, is there support and stuff for him or not? The aftercare from the air ambulance is brilliant. So they did arrange help. They checked in with us all as a family. His short-term memory is pretty shot. And he... Whether or not it's his autism, but he's very good at just moving on to the next thing. Whether it's his autism, whether it's his age. Okay, okay. In the moment. Yeah, he's good. He's needle phobic. And that's his biggest fear, having a blood test. Having a heart attack is not that bothered about, but <laughs> having a blood test. I'd rather be shocked and thrown across oh, the room. without a doubt. Than so, <laughs> without so a doubt. Astonishing. Oh, my goodness. So 
he's okay. He wanted to go to university. I thought I was going to have to sell up and move down there. I feel quietly smug that he's on a campus which has a hospital like 30 seconds from his horse. Okay. <laughs> and I've turned into one of those mothers I was bringing the university beforehand. Where are your defibs? <laughs> I need one within 10 yards of him. But yeah, no, he's coped remarkably well. And actually, as you were talking, I was thinking about what impacts it had. And I think on work, without minimising what we do at work, I suppose my thinking has changed. If no one's died, mm. if everyone's okay, yeah, we can work through it. We can deal yeah. with anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I say that all the time. I'm like, no matter how stressed or uptight I am about training courses I'm producing or, you know, new things that I'm trying out or, you know, trying to get podcasts edited or whatever, it's like the worst that's going to happen is, I'm, I, you know, none of these things are going to mean I'm doing mouth to mouth on my son this afternoon. None exactly of them. Exactly right. So, you know, let's just take a little bit of a perspective on and I yeah that's that's definitely and I've had conversations with people around so I've spoken at conferences in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and they're like I don't know how you do it I'm like what's the worst that can happen like I fluff it up like the worst that happens is I do a bad job and I walk off the stage and they'll either discuss it in the future or they'll forget about me but exactly right. You know, I'm not standing over my child in recess. So, like, it's not that big a deal. And that, in some ways, in a sick way, mm. I feel quite grateful for. Mm. It has really sort of checked. Yeah. Where are my values? Where are my priorities? What are the important things? Yeah. 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 I think my husband and I have talked about how I think we've had our midlife crisis about 10, 15 minute, years earlier because the prospect of our son not being there. I mean, he's 17 now, but we didn't, ex you know, there was lots of reasons why we wouldn't have expected him to live that long. We've had plenty of times of, like I say, standing over him in recess thinking, is this it? So there's no point in waiting for it to get a bit better. There's no point in being like, when this person goes to school, it'll be easier. When our, my hours at work get reduced, it's going to be easier. When we have this better house, it's going to be easier. When I get the pay rise, it's, it's not going to make any difference. Like, yep. it, it'll momentarily make a difference. But actually, it's about living your life with the values that you have here and now because you just don't know what's around the corner no you just don't know what's around the corner and that that I mean that is a, a stressful place to live but it is also a powerfully remarkable place to live there's people in this world who think they're going to get old <laughs> I know I'm not one of those <laughs> oh, you know who just assume that their children are going to grow up yeah never and they never give it another thought and it you know it probably means that I go to catastrophizing about my other children, yep. about all of my children, far too quickly. But maybe there's an element to which that also makes me just cherish and treasure really ordinariness because I know it's not assumed. I know it can't be. Yes, I think so. I think there's, it's made me a lot more chilled. So most people do this anyway, but, you know, I never finish a conversation with them now without saying I love you and hearing it back. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I accept him. I don't want to change him. 
Mm-hmm. I just enjoy doing it. It's a hard place to be in, but it's given benefits it has to the end of my life. And you'd still swap them for it not being the reality. But that doesn't, you know, so recognising the benefits doesn't mean we're like, well, that's good. No, it's still shit. It's still rubbish. We'd still change it in a heartbeat. Yes. No pun intended. But that doesn't mean that you can't say, okay, there are, you know, what are the positives I can glean from this nightmare? Does it change from the context of your work and working in adults? Uh, sort of services and people with learning disabilities and autism and thinking about DNA CPRs and lots of the stuff that came out in COVID around do not resuscitate and things. How's that sat with you? What's your perspective on that? I mean, certainly for those, for my children, I mean, interestingly, actually, after the cardiac arrest, it took them a few months to say it, but he did we had to go back into hospital after he first started uni because he was having chest pains. And he was fine, but he just said, sometimes I wish I'd died mm. when it happened. I wish I wasn't here. I wish Dad hadn't resuscitated me because I don't want a life like this. Yeah. And I think as a mother, you then get that fear of shit and you put capacity as well mm. oh my god <laughs> if you genuinely choose not to have a blood test there's nothing I can do about this and I find that quite scary again because they're children or they were children during COVID the issue around CPR or DNARs just didn't come up mm-hmm. and actually they got better treatment because they were deemed to be vulnerable we had evidence of it starting to creep through Mm-hmm. with people we were supporting but again lots of people had family and us around them who would go to battle yeah if needed yeah yeah I just think it's a really interesting topic I think the my son has a DNA CPR because I recognize you know statistically like you said what happened with your eldest is absolutely remarkable like the number of people who have a cardiac arrest and are still walking around and going to university is incredibly low and he was fit and you know otherwise and and you also had a known cause for that as well so that's a very very unique situation and it's just so complex isn't it because it's it's you know, it's so complex that actually it, you know, CPR rarely works. It rarely works, you know, and, and how much are we trying to push away the reality of death for people who have very, very complex needs? I'm very clear that I want my child to have as good a death as I can offer him in the same way that I give him as good a life as I can offer him. I don't think we talk about it. And sometimes I think feel like sometimes we get mixed up with quality of life. I've got a very good friend I've talked about her on the podcast before and she recently had a stroke and she's in hospital and she's very unwell and she's got a DNA CPR. She's in mid 80s, but they're still doing everything for her. Like she's had numerous scans. She's having every treatment under the sun. A DNA CPR is not something that means you don't get care and you're not valued and your life isn't valued. What it means is at the point at which your heart stops, the chance of it being started again by medical intervention is not kind of likely and our decision with my eldest son is that 
at the point at which his heart stops, I want to just be with him. I don't want a hundred people to come swarm around him and start doing bits and pieces. But I just think it's it's really complicated and hard. It's really complicated. And I think during COVID, the issue was around blanket decisions being made. Yes. So, of course, should any autistic person have a DNR? Of course they shouldn't. Why would they? It's the same. No. Anybody with hay fever, should you? No, of course you shouldn't. <laughs> it's a ridiculous concept. And the same for Down syndrome. It's just, it's bizarre. Yeah. So I would hope and assume we've moved out of that phase. Mm. I think there are lots of assumptions made still about people. Of course they are. And it's about battling those. Mm. I suppose I choose not to battle. I choose to try and work in partnership with (laughs) professionals. But ultimately, I remember when he had cardiac arrest and he was taken into hospital and they said, well, you can't come with him. It's still COVID. And I said, no, I can. He's autistic. Reasonable adjustments. This is what's happening. I'm staying with him. The end. And they went, oh, okay then. But of course, to all intents and purposes, he looks like a normal 19-year-old mm-hmm. lad who um, this catastrophic thing has happened to. Yeah. So again, a blanket decision is made. You have to have the conversations. You know, similarly with Alex, my youngest, when we were applying for secondary school, you know, he's always gone through mainstream school. Mm-hmm. And that's always been something I've been adamant about. No secondary school in the area wanted him. Oh, we can't have him, his needs are too high. We've never had a pupil with Down syndrome. And I had to pick the one that fought, put up the least fight to not have him. And I had to trust that he would do, he would work his magic once he was there. He would show them. Mm. They just had to get to know him. That they would see the value of him being and they part have. of the community. Yeah. Oh, that's rubbish though, isn't it? The kind of... <laughs> to choose your, to choose your, you know, it's like if you went for a job and it's like, I'm going to force these people to have me in their employment. So which one are going to give me, of like put up the least amount of resistance to me being there? Oh. So when you're thinking about trans, so you talked about your elder son has transitioned into adult services and the, you know, the complexities around that and reasonable adjustments and particularly within his complexity of medical conditions, not just his autism and things. But we all know that we practice out our parenting on the first child. What have you kind of learned from that transition when it comes to your youngest going into adult services? What have you going to kind of glean from the good, the bad and the ugly of that process to kind of pave the way of doing it a little bit better (laughs) next time around? I think less about the process. I suppose what I have learned from him and my oldest and my youngest to a certain extent is to not live in hindsight. So I've had to really work on myself. You make the decisions you make at the time Mm. you make them with what's going on at the time, with the best information you have. Knowing that it's screwed up three years later, that's not helpful. There's no blame to be done. So that living in the moment with the best information you've got, um, 
has been really important. I've taken a different tack with my youngest and I've used and I've called upon friends and peers to help. So I remember when he was transitioning from infant school to junior school and he had his annual review and I called upon a friend, Trisha Nickel, who to come and hold to facilitate his review. Yeah. And I think this has still gone down in legend. <laughs> I mean, Trisha's a wonderful, wonderful person with years of experience of the disability arena and making things happen. And someone from a professional turned up that had never met my son before. Okay. That turned up to his review and I said, I'm really sorry you can't. You can't come in. Your name's not on the list. You're not coming in. She went, but this is a formal review. And I went, well, you don't know him. You've never met him. You can't contribute. So therefore, you're not coming. And I remember turning around. Everybody else's faces were like, uh, uh, wide mouth, jaw drop. Yeah. So I've learned from early on to be clear. Yes. On what my expectations are. And therefore, everyone needs to come alongside that mm-hmm. and I've never focused on the alleged important people <laughs> do you know what I mean the ones with the that's around the table with the biggest chair aren't necessarily the people that are going to make any difference whatsoever they have no care they don't know what, what's happening and they aren't important to me. But, oh my God, this sounds terrible. Don't put this back. But it's true. The people that matter. I hear that. Oh, yes. Like whenever you're thinking about who, it's all around. It's not about the title. Sometimes it's important for the titles because they're the people who can make the decisions. Like you're arguing with people who have got no sway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's about, okay, I need to go up, 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 up because they're the people who can override the kind of computer says no and say in this instance and sometimes that's important but most of the time the day-to-day the real functioning particularly within education and school the people with the passion the energy the capacity to really change my child's life are not the ones with all the labels and the numbers and the letters they are the LSAs yes Yes. They're they're the important people. And they're the important people to have the relationship with and to be a team with. Yes. And I suppose when I think about him moving into adult services and in the future having support, it's his direct support support staff. They're the important people. Yeah. They're the ones that matter. And ensuring that that team, curating that team... See, I'm finding at the minute the way I'm really dealing with transition, which is going so well at the moment, is I'm putting my head in the sand. Yeah, good, good, yeah. Yeah, so I'm finding that's working a treat. So, yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. No, do. I think that's entirely appropriate. Because he's only 10 months away from being 18 and an adult. So that's ages, really. So, hold on, when did this process start with your local authority he's staying in education until the end of his 19th birthday but I think the thing because my son has very complex kind of health medical needs a bit that I'm 
and I it is happening like it is happening and I'm trying and I'm trying to bring everybody along and I'm putting things in place for one two three years time but it still just feels like I'm falling off the edge of a cliff when it comes to particularly around the medical stuff so particularly around the transition from having you know lots of different clinical staff who are you know in impacting his nutrition and dietitian and OT and physio and I mean he's got four OTs I mean I think it's a bit overkill really from an OT point of view but he's got physios and you know wheelchair specialists and you know all these different people within education health and social care and from a health point of view you've got your pediatrician and you've got your gastroenterologist and then he's got his neurodisability clinician then he's got his neurologist around his epilepsy and then he's got this general peds locally who kind of is the person trying to piece it all together and he's just gonna fall into adult services where he just feels like at the minute he just is going to become a whole bunch of organs and muscles like he's going to be under this person for respiratory this person for yes gut this person for orthopedic this and there isn't any one person and I think some areas are different because I know of good learning disability kind of and there's a new course coming out with the Royal College of Physicians and around sort of supporting people with very profound multiple learning disabilities specifically around all the different clinical needs and that's really needed because there are so many more of them alive because basically we've kept people who didn't survive however long ago who are getting into adulthood and now our services are like oh what are we going to do with them then because we haven't got we're not set up so I still feel like that's the bit that I uh my anxiety bubbles around my role as advocate because I don't really know I don't really know that I know what good looks like more importantly, that I don't have the power to make what good looks like because I can't dream up a learning disability consultant in our area when there isn't one. So there are two things that I think from what you've just said. One, I felt something very similar when my oldest turned 18 and we saw his pediatrician for the last time. Hmm. And I think I may have cried. I cry a lot at medical meetings. At this idea that I'd lost the person that yeah. coordinates it all, that had been in his life for 18 years. I really struggled with that. Actually, it was okay. Okay. Because, of course, you're the pediatrician, as was I. (laughs) (laughs) So, therefore, we just had a little bit more paperwork to do. (laughs) I didn't feel the loss as greatly. But the second thing you made me think is I remember my second job. I was a senior support worker, and I was supporting people to move out of too long stay institutions near us mm-hmm. where we were told they'd never live they couldn't live in a house you must be joking they've been in these hospitals for a reason well, people with profound disabilities and a few months in the one woman I was supporting in particular I was thinking that there's something going on and I just don't know what it is the GP's not going to let them know what am I going to do then I went back to the hospital and they had a consultant mm-hmm. and I said come to us come to their house please I need you to think you've known her but more than that you'll consider the whole and not just 
a part of her body or her mind. Mm, mm. And I always remember for years afterwards advocating, get me a consultant like that everywhere. Yeah, because we haven't got that locally. Oh, I haven't seen it anywhere. But I know of some. I could name a couple that I know of, particularly within the community. And I think it is a role that is developing because it's having to. It's having to. Want the Right Time is a proud partner of Simple Stuff Works. Together, we champion the protection of people's bodies through engaging and enjoyable training, looking at 24-hour postural care and specifically the importance of lying support. Whether you're a novice wanting a short three-hour online course taking you through the basics, a specialist practitioner needing comprehensive training or anything in between, we have a range of CPD certified courses just for you. Find out more at www.bornattherighttime.com where we give you the language, skills and confidence to protect people through excellence in 24-hour postural care. I'm so grateful, Marion, for you joining us on the podcast. I would love to do a rapid fire question before we finish, if that's okay. Are you ready? Go for it. Gird your loins, whatever that means. <laughs> I've had three children, I can't, sorry, but carry on. <laughs> there is no loins left, my dear. Okay, so what was your favourite subject at school? <laughs> um, English, maybe. Did you not like school? No. What's the matter with you? No. Did you spend more time outside the classroom than inside the yes. classroom? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I have a lot of reports in my life. If only she tried. Then she made the effort. Then she could stay on task. Actually, my manager says that about me now. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine what you could achieve. Yes. <laughs> okay. You're a superhero. What's your chosen superpower? And if you've got the creativity, what's your name? Oh, my word. That is tough. I would like healing powers. Ooh. Yes, I would like healing powers. I can't think of a name. No, that's too tricky. Okay. What's an ordinary moment in your life at the minute that brings you joy? Sucking a locket. Joy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like joy. Like, oh. are you not familiar with that feeling? No, no. <laughs> not so. I mean, I understand it's an abstract concept, but... Um, uh, oh, come on. Ten minutes ago, we were talking about treasuring moments. Yeah, but they are quite annoying after a few minutes. Yeah. I have loved spending time with my biggest prince this Christmas not in hospital obviously but on a daily basis walking the dog that's about as much joy as I get yeah mm, nice okay what's the last photo you took I don't even know what that is my youngest I go to my phone and I find lots of like 30 shots of a bum <laughs> or a dog's paw <laughs> it was of um my dog in his new dog bed that's the last photo I took Yes. Ah, new dog bed photo. Lovely. If you were to win a TV reality show, which one would it be? Oh, now, now you're talking. <laughs> oh, I mean, in reality, oh, wow. I mean, obviously, we'd love Strictly. I mean, there'd be a certain thing around SAS who bears wins, wouldn't there? I mean, Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even climb the stairs, let alone a mountain. <laughs> let alone rip the <laughs> yeah. the meat off the carcass of a rabbit that you've just hunted down. 
Yes, although in the olden days, there was always a passion for Big Brother. Oh, really? Yeah. But in the really, the, the very beginning. A proper 90s old school Big brother Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, nice. Very good. Uh, what's your comfort food of choice? I mean, currently, I think it's lockets. But... <laughs> Anyone that knows me will say it's pasta. Oh, just lots like of pasta. any pasta? Are you a fresh pasta fiend or just? No, not a fresh pasta, fresh sauce. Pasta, nice. It's not carbs. I know, I, I have an affinity mm, for carbs. carbs. Yeah, essentially beige. I like, yeah. I like. <laughs> There's lots of beige in my kitchen, in the freezer. I like, I like beige. Okay, <laughs> last question. Okay, what's happening in your life right now that makes you mildly... <laughs> interested it's a new year I've got plenty of resolutions which will last probably until the middle of next week I always find well no it's just the standard you know don't eat so much don't drink so much be a new you but I do think new year always (laughs) makes you think oh my god I'm just gonna like transform myself this year and then by (laughs) December you're like oh my god next year I'm really gonna transform myself and it just goes in the cycle forever so I'm currently in that yeah you're in that I'm going to be a new me yes lovely yeah and that's exciting the prospect of the new me that you've anticipated and promised for the last however many years that's that right all consistently failed <laughs> really excited it's for it still in the excitement mode <laughs> that is so good <laughs> so yes we're recording this on the 5th of January so yes we're still maintaining still maintaining my 10 minutes yoga a day <laughs> that's not actually I'm not doing that no okay Marion, thank you so, so much for joining me on the Skies Running podcast. Oh, it's podcast. been lovely to talk to you. It's been so much fun. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I hope you stay out of hospital with all your princes. And my biggest, the biggest shout out to the middle prince for the fact that he just has no hope of getting any, oh, kind, right. of, any kind of... Just, just so needy. needy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Skies Wonder podcast is a Born at the Right Time production supported by the expert studio assistants of Podshop. Thanks to our wonderful guests for sharing their stories and very precious time. And special thanks to the generosity of listeners whose donations have helped make this podcast. We would love it if you could like, follow and review the podcast wherever you listen. As part of season two, we have some great live events, including the really ropey idea of Sarah, Lucy and I being your agony aunts. Email your stories, comments and questions, either to TSWUpodcast at gmail.com to join in or follow us on Instagram at Born at Right Time. We love you joining us for the ride as we hurtle along this off-piste version of parenting. It's so much better when we do it together. Whatever skies, we're under. <laughs> <laughs>